Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Inside Lines podcast. I'm your host, Atoya Burleson. And I am Tia Avro. Coming up a bit later in the show, we'll be chatting with activist, author, and inspirational speaker, Sabrina Greenlee. We'll also be getting into our hot take this week, where we'll be discussing good moms, bad choices. But first, (laughs) Tia, how's it going? It's going good. It's been a busy, busy week. Uh Um, Xander Xander had a lot of baseball this week, Mm. which, you know, at this age, baseball. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's all I'm going to say is I'm sorry. (laughs) He was in the field chasing his tail, spinning in circles. Then they put him at catcher, and he was terrible at catcher. I'm like, what is going on? But you wanted to play this. But he's actually he's a good hitter, uh-huh. um, and he's a good – well, I won't say he's a good first baseman. There's another – I don't even know the position, but he's good at it. But he just – he be zoning out. It's too much. And then I had to bribe him. He has a track meet on Sunday. Okay. So – I thought he was slow, but he get out there. He actually is good, but you have to bribe him to actually try. Like, so I owe him Robux. So I'm like, listen, you have to do what you got to do with a championship around here. Okay. Thank Whatever you. Works. I'm like, this, we, we will be champions. Okay. That's it. Whatever we it takes. We all need well, to be bribed, right? So every now and then we need a little bribery in our lives. <laughs> motivation. That's all. <laughs> what about you? What's been going on with you? Oh, gosh, this week was all about my oldest. Um, I think everybody knows I have a senior in high school. Uh, His birthday was Wednesday. So we celebrated his last birthday in my home as he lives under my, well, it's not his last birthday, but he, this is the last birthday I will be celebrating with him as he lives under my roof. So uh, we did a big, you know, we got a big, uh, uh, what do you call it, party limo bus and went Mm -hmm. to catch steak in New York and they, he had catch steak with about eight of his friends. And um, then yesterday we surprised him uh, with a surprise party and he had zero idea. He was completely shocked. Um, (laughs) And it was crazy to get him, just to get him out the house. We were like, his friend came over like, we're going to go to dinner. And he's Mm -hmm. like, okay. He's like, come on, let's go. We're going to be late. He's like, man, I'm playing, he's playing video games. He did not want to leave. (laughs) And I was freaking out because people were supposed to be to our house in 10 minutes. Oh, and so dang. I had to go in there and be like, Nate, your friend did something really nice for you. Destiny, video games can wait. Go with your friend <laughs> <laughs> to dinner, please. People are coming over. But uh, <laughs> he left just in time. Like literally he left, came back because he forgot something, left again. And like then the doorbell rang like three minutes later. So it all worked oh, out. Man. He was completely surprised and I'm tired and I'm done. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Okay, now that I cannot believe, Lil Nate. Yeah. He's grown. He's grown. He is grown, grown. Yeah, and yes. he's such a good kid. He is. I, I. He's a great big brother. Great first child. I couldn't ask for a better one. I'm so happy for him. I'm so sad for me. But that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Enough about that. Let's get into this week's hot take. This week's hot takes. Tia, what we got? Okay, so this week in hot takes, we are talking good moms, bad choices. Mm-hmm. So if you guys are unfamiliar with it, that's a, it's a podcast with uh, two hosts named Erica and Jamila, 
Well, they have been making their media rounds because they're promoting their new book, um, a book they did together called A Guide, or excuse me, A Good Mom's Guide to Making Bad Choices, where they are essentially challenging the idea that motherhood has to be self-sacrificial. Um, and then they also talk a bit about how when they were pregnant, they received like all these books about how to be a mom, how to parent a toddler, how to parent a teen, but they never received... Um, they never received any instruction on how to be a mother or how to parent the new person that you become once you become a mother. Mm. And one, I thought it was good. Like, I'm gonna, I'm going to definitely check out the book. But their interviews have been very good, like very insightful, and have sparked some like internal discussion within myself. So mm. I'm gonna ask you a few questions that came from an interview that it, that they did with Van and Rachel over okay. on Higher Learning. Okay. Okay. So like I said, the, their podcast in general, and then their book is just challenging the idea of, of when you become a mom that you have to sacrifice all of these things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And my first question, Natoya, is, is there anything that you feel like you can't do or that you have to stop doing once you become a mother? Yes. I'm going to be honest. Okay. Uh, for me, um, I was I was working before I became pregnant with, with Nate and- I told myself that my my goal was to, you know, have him and then go back to work, you know, once he was, you know, like going into the fall. So I would have him in May. I would go back to work like, you know, in September when my maternity leave was up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't do it. Um, and, and, and no one made me stay. I just couldn't leave my baby. And it's something that you just don't understand. At least me, I didn't understand. And I didn't understand the big deal of like why people feel that way. Um, but Mm. I just knew in my heart of hearts that me being at home with him and spending this time with him would be not only beneficial for him, but beneficial for me. And I just felt like nobody could love my baby more than me and be more protective and loving. And so I decided to stay home with him. Um, And I sacrificed my job. I sacrificed, you know, those relationships and all that hard work, you know, earning a master's. Like, it's a lot of work you put in. um, And I don't regret it. I'm glad that I did it. Um, But it was a sacrifice. You know, you are dying to a part of yourself that you worked so hard for as an individual. But motherhood mm-hmm. took over and um, it was something that I felt like I needed to do. Okay. So, well, that was something you felt like you, like for you at that moment, that was something you felt like you had to give up for motherhood. I, are there, yeah. are there yeah. like societal norms mm-hmm. that come into play that you feel like you can't do? Like you can't dress a certain way. You can't talk a certain way. Like did mm-hmm. any of that come up? Not for me. I've only, I've always kind of. Gosh, I feel like I've always been the person that did what was best for me. Like I've always like, um, I just been in the moments and how I feel in the moments is how I deal with things. I don't really worry about the outside noise. You know, I understand there's things that your parents teach you. There's things that, you know, society teaches you, your friends teach you. But ultimately, you can take all of that advice and you make it into the best recipe for yourself and that's kind of how I've lived my life um Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not black or white I'm right there right in the middle mixing it together and making it work for me um as far as clothes and what I wore I wore I wore what I could wear you know when you first have a baby you can't wear certain things well you can but you don't feel comfortable in it right (laughs) so for me I wore what I felt good in you know I I wore what I felt sexy in. now I'm not saying 
like when I first had Nate, I, yeah, I was in the baggy t-shirts because you know your stomach is still loose. Your baby hasn't, your t- stomach hasn't, stomach hasn't went all the way down. But boy, when it started tightening it up, my wardrobe changed, right? So mm-hmm. I think the best as a mother and as a new mom and trying to figure it out, you just do the best that you can with what you have and and leave the rest of it in the garbage. Oh. To be honest, what about you, yeah. Tia? Well, yes, I do think there were some things that I felt like I had to give up or whatever with mm-hmm. the mom. Work wasn't one of them. Like I gave up um, a, when I first stopped working. It was more because of the location I was in. Like if we were in Charlotte, my tail would have still been working, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so work was not one that I felt like I had to sacrifice, but it was more of the 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 freedom and stuff like that. Because truth be told, society and everybody else mm-hmm. um like they say for the woman that's your child like that's your responsibility mm. so the 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 sacrifice in terms of your time hell your sleep like everything fell on the mom right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. which was me um and then especially with um our situation like i had zay, zay at the top of the season like it was training camp you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. going through a training camp and you know even when the season started just like Oh, hell, the baby crying. Well, I got to get up because he got to be up in two hours for work, you know, like stuff like that. Like I felt like, OK, that definitely fell on my lap when truth be told, it it could have been more dispersed, if that makes um, a difference. And then also, like I cuss like a sailor. I've been trying to get myself together, but I really <laughs> like I use a lot of profanity. And when I had kids, <laughs> my husband looking at me like, can you can can we not like. Can we not? <laughs> and now they come to expect that I'm going to say something, but it won't be. But it's, you know, it's little things like that where I'm like, okay, yeah, I did sacrifice that or give that up or change mm-hmm. because, oh, I became a mom. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it's good or bad, like it was somewhere I was like, well, I can't just be cussing in front of these kids, these other people, kids, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, that was that was your sacrifice was you had to give up your curse words. <laughs> Listen, I'm like, sometimes... Well, it's more of the, you can't do this because you're a mom now, right? Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you when you want to say something, you got to have the emphasis on it, and the emphasis requires a curse word, but neither here nor there. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, this other question is, you already answered it, but it was going to be like, how do you assert yourself Mm-hmm. Or assert your personhood so that you don't become just somebody's mom. So you're not mm-hmm. just Nate's mom or Nehemiah's yeah. mom. Like you're a Toya, which you talked about um, a little bit already. But okay, my yeah. last question, because this was very interesting for me. But Van brought up, because they, um, Erica and Jamila asked uh, Van, like, do you really know your mom? Like, do you know your mom outside of being a mom? And Van um, said that he actually started asking her questions um, when he got into adulthood, just who is she? You know, because mm-hmm. we are all whole human beings before yeah. we become moms. And he said that his mom told him that he uh, that she actually fantasized about what life would be like had she not had Van and his sister. Mm. So uh, my question to you, Atoya, have you ever fantasized about life without kids? Without kids. Um, no, but it slapped me in the face this year when my oldest is going to college. Um, but if I look back, <laughs> gosh, I would say no, I didn't. Fan- I mean, I fantasize having a break. I fantasize, you know, okay. Okay. going away for the weekend. 
You know, I fantasize my next vacation without kids. Absolutely. But I never really fantasized life without my kids. And I guess for me, um, having a family and or raising kids and or spending time with them and putting in the work and effort, to me, it's been a beautiful thing. Um, Mm. I've loved it. And maybe it's the educator in me, um, the psychologist in me. And to your point about moms, you know, with my mother and maybe with that generation, um, they didn't really they were there for you, but they didn't really spend the time talking about who they who they were and what mistakes they made and, you know, how they would do things differently and why you should do the things you do. But that was so Mm -hmm. important to me. I remember being, gosh, maybe in high school saying, when I have kids, they gonna know everything. I'm gonna tell them everything. They gonna be tired of me <laughs> because, you know, I am I was the curious kid that wanted to know why. Well, why mom? Well, how come? And she'd be like, you asking too many questions. Go sit down, be quiet, yeah, you know? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I would say for me, I didn't really fantasize not having my babies, but I definitely 100% on multiple, multiple, multiple occasions fantasize breaks because I needed them. Because we, I always say <laughs> you have to miss them. So you can kiss them. <laughs> what about you? So I think I think when the note like the the word fantasize, like to me it means or it kind of makes it seem like it's like a desire, right? Like like mm-hmm. this unattainable, like dang, I really wish I could What da, would da, life da. be if it and, was this way? Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I have ever done that. But after having the first kid and then again with the second kid, I had postpartum Mm. and postpartum to the point where I didn't even know I had postpartum. And then so the the seat I was in, I'm like, well, dang, I'm sacrificing all this stuff, sacrificing myself, my finances, like I wouldn't really sacrifice my finances, but y'all know what I mean. But just like (laughs) that whole independence piece, you know. And that was really hard. And I thought you say you didn't know you had postpartum. You didn't know. Mm -hmm. What were the signs where you realized that you did later? When you say that, because I don't think a lot of people know what that is. Yeah. Like, you know, I have a friend that went through it and she didn't realize it either. But it was later and she Mm -hmm. read the, you know, the signs. She's like, oh, my gosh. What was that for you? You have these things. Well, I, I think when people hear the word or the term postpartum, they automatically, mm-hmm. or post, postpartum depression, they automatically mm-hmm. think, oh, you want to hurt your baby or something like that. I never had those <laughs> feelings. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. that's what it, that's what I really thought, or um, th- which is why when I was in it, I didn't know that I had it because I okay. just thought it was like, oh, you had ideas of hurting your child. I never had those types of ideas. But just like the extreme depression, like literally only getting up out of the bed because this child is here and this child got to be fed. Mm, you got to feed okay. yourself so you can feed this kid kind of thing. But like crying all the time, like nothing make you happy, like literally putting on a front for any and everybody that comes around, right? Mm. The um, the the questioning of like, yo, did I make the right decision? Like, did I make the right decision becoming a mom? Like, was I really ready? Like, am I capable mm. of being a good mom? And like, yeah. not just... Feeding them, and, you know, but like truly pouring into a child, like raising a global citizen. You know what I mean? Like that takes somebody that is motion. Well, yeah, just in a sense of like a yeah. well-respected child, real respectful child, right? Yeah. Like I just didn't know that I could do it, mm-hmm. and um, 
So, I mean, there's some other things and there's different symptoms for everybody, but yeah, and, and it even showed up differently when I had Xander because I just was like, what the hell? I got two kids. What the fuck am I doing this? But <laughs> that's all of us, girl. That's called shock. Okay. <laughs> yes. And so it was more of the, the envisioning like, okay, well, did I make the right decision? What would have happened mm-hmm. if I made this decision instead of right. this? You know, like those are the the thoughts that um, I had, but I never, I, it was never a moment where I was like, oh, I wish I didn't have them. Never, never those types of um, situations. But, you know, that's interesting that you share that. And I'm glad that so glad that you did, because to your point, people have these extreme versions of mm-hmm. what they think postpartum is. And for you to share that, maybe that will really bless mm-hmm. and help someone else. And they realize like, oh, that's what I have. You know what I'm saying? Because how would you know, right? Yeah. Like, how yeah. would you know if mm-hmm. it's something that you've never, um, you know, experienced before? And I didn't realize that you had it yeah. with both the boys. Mm-hmm, I did. And you know what it what it is, is like one day stuff is clear. Mm-hmm. And you're like, damn, like I've been in a fog, like a, wow. a deep, heavy fog for all this time. And then it just, it's just clear. So... Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, but y'all let us know. So, n- n- hopefully, number one, y'all go back and listen to Erica and Jamila's um, interview with Van and mm-hmm. uh, Van and um, Rachel on higher learning. But two, like, let it answer those questions for us. Like, did you ever fantasize about not becoming a mom, or what life would be like without your kids? Or <laughs> let us know also if there's some things that you feel like you got to stop doing because you are a mom. And let's be voice clear. <laughs> Let's be clear. It's okay to want to take a break from your kids. We we're not we're, oh, we want y'all to understand that it's actually very absolutely. normal and most importantly, it's very healthy. So don't let mom guilt get a, you know come over you to where you feel like needing a break and or spending time away from your kids makes you a bad mom. It does not. It is very healthy and very normal. <laughs> Well, it's it's important to just be your own person outside Absolutely. of your kids, because at some point those kids are going to leave the home, and it doesn't mean that you're not that you're going to stop mothering them, but you literally have to to know who you are and figure out what life looks like once your kids start living their own lives. Yes, if that makes sense. Um, but yes, yeah, so leave us a voicemail: speakpipe.com forward slash inside lines. All right, y'all. Coming up next, our chat with Sabrina Greenlee. On the show today, we welcome a well-respected community leader, a survivor who has dedicated her life to helping facilitate the growth and evolution of women. She is the creator and founder of Smooth, speaking mentally, outwardly opening opportunities towards healing. And she is the mother of NFL wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. Please welcome to the show, Sabrina Greenlee. Hello, welcome. (laughs) Hello, hello. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Yes. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. So I see that we're all wearing shades of pink today. We didn't plan this, but it's, it's kind of working out because this is for Mother's Day and uh, we just going to go with it. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's amazing. And you are the first player's mom that we have on the show. Well, I'm honored. I'm honored. Thank you. 
<laughs> okay, so I want to I want to before we start talking about everything, let's talk about Super Bowl a little bit. Um, Super Bowl was in Arizona. I know you were there, yes. and um, you were moving and shaking there. We didn't get to see you, obviously, but we're so blessed to have you on here. Tell me what you tell me how your Super Bowl experience was in Arizona. Well, it was definitely good. Um, I mean, of course, I would have loved for you know my son to have been playing in it, but <laughs> still, there were so many opportunities. I was. Uh, my team and I was there and we actually um, we enjoyed it. So it was it was business for me, mostly um, mm-hmm. going to the brunch. And then um, I actually we, well, actually, we hosted our own event there this year. That was our first okay. ever. We did a soft life fest where we um, uh, the organization we pampered and loved on, I think, about 50 women. Um, oh, and we nice. did it differently this year. We did it like festival uh, style uh-huh. where mm-hmm. we had um, uh, flower crowns and we had a DJ. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting for me to actually just be in the presence of not only the Super Bowl, but to get to actually, you know, host my own event. It was it was really good. It was good. OK, yeah. so wait. So you said you were pampering um, women. Who were the women? The women. Uh, we went into a shelter there in Arizona and uh, uh-huh. we, women of domestic violence, trauma, PTSD, you know, that have been going through things. We actually went to them. What I found is mm-hmm. that it's it's really hard to get women to come out of a shelter. So we, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of like meet people where they are. So we went into the shelter. Oh, it was nice. a really good experience to just go into the to where they live. And um, mm-hmm. so we we actually went into the uh, the open area where they had um, uh, kind of like a commons area. So we mm-hmm. set up there. It was amazing. So is this something that you're going to do annually? We will definitely be doing it annually. I partnered with uh, Eli Apple's mom, Annie Apple. Okay. Oh, and nice. we'll be doing okay. that. So we'll yeah we'll be headed to Vegas in February doing it. Okay. Well, we will be there. Yes. Oh, please awesome. let us know. Awesome. So you ladies definitely have a front a front front seat to the event already. <laughs> all right. Say less. That's yeah. all we need to hear. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so we know there's all these amazing you know things that go on in Super Bowl. There's all these yes. red carpet moments. Tell me, is there like a favorite red carpet moment that you've enjoyed? Mm, nothing in particular. I think I was more uh-huh. excited this year that I was hosting my own event there finally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just being there with my son um, mm-hmm. and just enjoying that time, it's always good to fly in wherever he is. And he's always doing these, you know, red carpet events. Amazing. And just by mm-hmm. chance, I'm kind of sitting around hoping, you know, he'll say, Mama, come on. <laughs> come and so, on with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing stands out in particular, but um, it's always just good to be in the atmosphere. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as I said at the top of the show, you are the first mom that we've had on the show. And we've had different women and different people behind the scenes come on and share what their experience has been like um, Mm -hmm. with whatever their relationship is to a professional athlete. But can you chat a little bit about your experience as the mom of a professional athlete? I'm so honored to to call him my son. Um, I think it's it's been amazing. Just the... 10-year experience because he's been leaked 10 years now. So it's been a roller coaster ride, you know, the ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. of course, um, you know, him getting traded to Arizona, which mm-hmm. was, you know, a shock. But I think overall, I think just being 
uh, NFL mom. Um, I mean, it's it's an honor to do that. And so I, I don't take it lightly um, because, you know, of course, we all know that it could be a short span. Mm-hmm, um, right. But just for us to have been in the NFL for 10 years. And of course, I say us because it takes a village. Ooh, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> and so I think most of all, just just understanding the position of being behind the scenes and just supporting him no matter mm-hmm. what. Um, mm-hmm. is very important. Um, you know, I don't I don't want to be forefront because, you know, he's he's definitely uh the famous uh wide receiver, football star. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. just being there to no matter what it is to support him, I think that's that's my position. Um and just just doing that is is definitely an honor for me. That's awesome. Okay, so I wanna back up a little bit and I okay. would like to know if you can just share uh, with our listeners, just a little bit about your life story so they can get to know you more. Mm-hmm. Well, it, um, it's been a lot of adversities, um, not only for me, but, you know, for my children. I was assaulted in 2002, leaving me totally blind, 17% of my body burned. Um, DeAndre, um, who is now, you know, white receiving NFL, was only 10 years old. Prior to that, um, him and I, him, and his father and I were in a car accident in 1992, um, mm-hmm. where his father passed away eight days later. So mm-hmm. it's been a roller coaster ride of a lot of tears, a lot of um, you know sleepless nights. Um, I went through severe depression. I knew exactly how I wanted to end my life. At times, it was just a lot of things. Uh, of course, the aftermath after. Uh, the assault um, that I'm speaking of. And so mm-hmm. just having to come back home totally blind, raising four children uh, was really, really tough. And mm-hmm. as how, I said- At this um, time, how was your oldest and then your youngest? So my oldest, Keisha, was 14 at the time. My other mm-hmm. son was 13. DeAndre was 10. And my baby girl was four years old oh, at the time okay. of the assault. And um, so it really- it really took a lot of willpower to just get up every day and fight to want to be a mother, to get back to being a mother, because mm-hmm. it was just me and my babies, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that day that I left to go and, um, you know, go and look for my car and, you know, just having a hot head, you know, thinking that, you know, I'm going to get my car because, like I said, I had, um, you know, been in a relationship for about four months, only four months with this guy. Uh, mm-hmm. I had no idea that he had an ex-girlfriend. And so they decided that they they decided that um, I no longer needed to be on this earth. And so uh, I was called to a place one day and where she threw a concoction of mixed red devil eye along with Clorox um, on me, uh, leaving mm-hmm. me totally blind. And uh, that was 20 years ago. So I've been blind for 20 years. Um, and what is a red devil eye? So... I didn't know what it was until, of course, we went to court. It is um, mm-hmm. a liquid concoction that most people use to uh, clean out their drains. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So you said, and, and they decided together. So the guy that you were dating and, yes. and his ex, uh, what it, what was the, not that anybody could ever explain away a situation like that, but what was their explanation when they went to court? 
they really didn't have one. Uh, we decided to uh, prosecute her. And uh, so he was a key witness. And so it was kind of like you had to pick your poison. Um, mm-hmm. She ended up doing 20 years in jail. But he testified that she said that she just wanted to um, take me out. And um, so she was going to shoot me at first. He said, no, that's too messy. So she came up with another um, idea, which was the concoction. And with no no explanation, you went there to get your car. You weren't expecting Not really, other than, yeah, other than just saying that um, she didn't want me around or in his life. Mm-hmm. You know, when this happened, did you understand what was going on? Like, and when this happened immediately, what were you thinking? It was a shock because mm-hmm. I was in a coma for a little over a month. So waking up blind, not knowing where I was or what happened. I remember going to a place one day, but that was about all I remember. So mm-hmm. I immediately... um you know, of course, I was induced into a medically induced coma at the time and mm-hmm. waking up about a month and a half later, having to do rehab because I had a lot of skin grafts, um, mm-hmm. not knowing if I was ever going to see again. Uh, my children at the time couldn't come see me. The only one that could really come see me was Keisha and mm-hmm. uh, because she was the oldest. Um, it was really, really tough. Um, it was um, one of the worst um situations I've ever been put in because coming home to those four children and, you know, my baby girl, of course, she wouldn't come to me for about a month because she kept calling me a monster because, Mm. you know, I wasn't, I didn't look the same. Mm -hmm. I didn't Mm -hmm. talk the same. Um, It was bandages everywhere. It was really, really tough. Really rough. Can you um, speak more about that? Um, that experience coming home, right? Because I don't think fully people fully grasp like, yes, it happened to you and it's traumatic and you have to go through all these these life transitions. But what that does to kids, especially at the ages like the ages that your kids were, those are such pivotal, um, pivotal times. Oh, absolutely. So what I say, what I know now is that my children were survivors too, because everything that I went through you know, they're curious. They want to mm-hmm. know. And, you know, when mama's not right, nobody's right. And so right. just sitting in that room, I sit in my room for three and a half years. I had no idea, you know, what impact that would make on my children. Um, and of course, it was really tough because everything as we know it, you know, it changed. I had mm-hmm. people having to come in and feed my children or even get them to their events. And, you know, nobody's going to take care of your children, you know, like you. The way that you do. And yes. so it was very depressing that, you know, at times they couldn't find rides to where they needed to be. I mean, everything changed for us. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was that that was the toughest part, knowing that our lives was changed um, and just disrupted for practically no reason. Yeah. So yeah. did you have family members that move that had to move in with you to help to care for the kids or like how how was that process? So believe it or not, no one ever moved in. I um I I just began to lean on Keisha a lot, the oldest one, to take mm-hmm. care of the youngest ones and I knew that I needed to get up out that bed and take care of my own children. And mm-hmm. so blind and all, I began to 
you know, just get up and understand that I needed to get up not only for the children, but for myself and, you know, not having keep having Mm -hmm. these pity parties, feeling sorry for myself. And um, after I got over the suicidal thoughts and just understanding Mm -hmm. that there was a reason for me, everything happened for a reason. I didn't understand it. And I, I continually questioned God. Uh, because everything had happened. I lost two brothers prior to that point. Um, one of my brothers uh, died in a domestic violence dispute. The other one died in a car wreck that I literally like held him until he took his last breath. And then here it is, my fiance, you know, died eight days later. We we're in a car accident. So it was like a lot of things that led up to that. Wow. And here it is, I'm laying in the bed wanting to end my life myself. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think anybody will really understand you like you're at your lowest point when your children aren't even enough to fight for. Um, Mm. And so it's bigger. It was bigger than me. Like this is something that um, is that, that only God, only God can come in and help me with because I'm like, I'm tired. It's so many things happen up to this point. And I had to just trust that God had a plan for me. Like it Mm -hmm. had to be a a master plan. (laughs) Did you ever go through um, therapy, like doing this process? Never went through therapy. Um, my mom, my dad, my even my brother's passing. It just wasn't um, known for us. Mm-hmm. And I think in our culture, you know, if because my thing was back then, you know, every I had like I had this imprint in my head that if I went through therapy, then somebody was gonna call me crazy. And mm-hmm. so I, I never went through therapy as bad as I needed it. Now, of course, I can't live without it. But right. mm-hmm. I did not. Yeah. Literally went through everything on my own. Okay, so you talk about going through everything on your own. Um, and you talk about having these suicidal thoughts. And at some point, it starts to get better. What was it? What were those steps like for you as you started getting better? I think those steps for me getting better was getting on the path of forgiveness. Like, no matter how bad it was, I had to start the process of forgiving those people that Mm -hmm. hurt me. I think that was the biggest thing for me. And one Mm -hmm. of those things were uh, humanizing her, normalizing her, and understanding that for someone to have did this to another person like they mm-hmm. had to been broken or hurt themselves. And so I started comparing things. And the more I knew about her um, or what I, well, the more that I wanted to learn, I would say, because, it was, you know, this was a process. It didn't, wasn't overnight that I even right. wanted to forgive. Um, mm-hmm. Her initials was SG. Mine was SG. She was young. She was a black woman. And she was manipulated a lot too, just like me. And so I began mm-hmm. to compare her to me, of course, and understand that, you know, it just, it, it something wasn't right. And so I, I learned that she was, she had to take care of her siblings as I did. Um, it was a long process. It took about a year or so. And I, but I began to start praying for her, mm-hmm. um, asking God to give me the strength to pray for her. But the more I prayed for that young lady, the mm-hmm. better my life became, the more I was able to kind of get up because I needed something. Yeah, it just yeah. it wasn't working the way it, you know sitting there. Um, 
I, I think getting on the path of forgiveness changed everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. I was able to truly eventually forgive. So you would say like just getting to know her more and more allowed you to kind of, I guess, uh, give her grace. To give her grace. Okay. And uh, because I, I had to, you know, so I started asking about her um, just a little here or there and knowing mm-hmm. that her childhood wasn't great. Mine wasn't great. Um, she was a young black girl and she was manipulated, uh, of course, by him. A lot of things that I found out that mm-hmm. was similarities and I thought, OK, I know I'm broken. I, You know, clearly I was broken to get to that point where I tolerated a lot of things because there was a lot of red flags prior to mm-hmm. even getting there that day. Not only that, but I had to take accountability for my part in it. A lot of people don't understand that when you go through things and you, it's easy to blame uh, people. But I had to take accountability. I had no business attaching myself to a man like that in the beginning, in the first place. What do you, what do you mean? What did, did he display like some red flags or something? Or? Oh, absolutely. Like From day okay. one, he was very... Uh, clingy, very emotional. He told me he loved me on the second day that we were together. Um, He attached himself to me very quickly. So, of course, I took that as, oh, my God, he loves me. He wants to be with me. He he was living with his mother. He had absolutely nothing to bring to the table with me having my own home and four children. Not that that matters. I'm very nonjudgmental. But... I, he attached himself to me. And so he had the keys to my car, access to my home, my heart, my children, all in a matter of three weeks. Way too fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you spoke about the forgiveness piece. I say all the time, like we know that the cliche sayings like, oh, you you forgive somebody not for, your, for them, but for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm truthful with myself, I don't know how to forgive Mm-hmm. I don't know how to forgive, right? But that is <laughs> that is helpful and like just get to know the person in that yeah. person's journey. Well, it is because I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm like, forget you forever, okay? Oh gosh. But, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it is important to extend grace because to your point, yeah. the, as you started to to learn more about her and forgive, like things in your life started um, started adjusting and, and getting better, you know. Mm-hmm. So thanks mm-hmm. for sharing that. I- I think my first prayer was, like, literally my first prayer for her was, um, Lord, allow her to prosper and everything she touches turns to gold. That was it. That's as far as I could go. And of course, I mm-hmm. attached on, you know, more and more. And I don't even know why it was like everything she touches turns to gold. I, I, that's as far as I could get. But I began to mm-hmm. add on and continuously, um, you know, really, really pray for her and, um I'm talking about until I'm snotting and I'm crying because as I see, the more I pray for her, the more things began to change in my household. I began to get Mm -hmm. up. I began to feel a little better. Um, I began to, you know, be more attentive to my children that needed me. Things began Mm -hmm. to change. So you feel like your faith with God in God is, is what kind of started, you know, you started having these you know, moments where you realize I have to be different. God's telling me, he's telling me to do these things. I need to be obedient in what he's telling me. And that's when you noticed the more you were obedient, the more you prayed for her, the more that you forgave, 
you saw all of this weight lifted off of you and you were able to be blessed in your own home. Oh, absolutely. There was he it it was like I was having these little inklings that to pray for her, pray for her. And I was like, I'm not praying for her. Like, you know, they tried to hurt me. I wasn't even sure if I was going to have justice, you know, done at that time yeah. when, when God was telling me to pray for her. I was like, I'm not praying for her. I need to like somebody need to pray for me. Right. And um, it just kept it just kept coming to me. So I began to do it. Mm. How uh, I know you said you leaned on your oldest Keisha a lot. Um, mm-hmm. How how is she doing? My baby is doing amazing. So I just found <laughs> out this week that she just um, uh, she's a realtor here in uh, in Houston, and um, mm-hmm. she's um, excelling amazingly in that. I just found out this week that she just uh, closed on another million dollar home. So she is doing okay, good. Keisha. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> She is doing amazing. So, but she, um, so Keisha went on to go to college. Um, she went to college first in Pittsburgh. Then she transferred back uh, to a school in South Carolina. And she ended up mm-hmm. graduating with a BS degree. You have all these amazing kids. Let's give them all shout outs. Let's talk about each oh. one of them because I know as a mom and with it being Mother's Day, you have to be yes. so proud of them. Oh, I am. I am. Keisha, of course, I said she's a realtor and she's uh-huh. she's doing great. Um, By the way, she owns her her first. Well, the only uh, women's football league in Houston. She's the owner of that. One of the owners. Wow. Fantastic. So, yeah. Keisha's doing great things. She played women's football for eight years. She finally uh-huh. decided to throw in her helmet, as she says. And now she owns her <laughs> own league here in Houston. So she's doing great. What's the uh, what's the league? It's called the Mambas. Mambas. Okay. The Mambas. It's after the snake, uh, Kobe. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. absolutely. The Mambas. I'm. Um, I think they're in. Th- they're into their third game, so I'm. It's it's fresh to me. So is it? She owns her own team, or she owns the actual league, and then she has she a bunch owns, of teams under her. She owns her own team, so she nice. has her own nice. team here in Houston. Yes. And you said she's been playing for eight years. What position mm-hmm. did she play? She played wide receiver, number 10. Go figure. Okay. <laughs> this is all these athletes, okay? Number, so. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, Keisha was playing football um, when she was like five or six. So she was a wide receiver uh-huh. way back then. She was the only little girl um, in the whole boys league um, in South Carolina when, we was, like, when she was really uh-huh. little. I allowed her to play for three years. And then, of course, as she went into middle school, they wouldn't allow girls to play. So she had to stop. Mm-hmm. So she's always been very active and wanting to play football. So um, my son, Marcus, um, he is actually an aspiring musician. He's a producer. He mm-hmm. does the beats and he raps, he sings. So and Marcus is my most artistic child. He is um, he's just kind of really laid back. He doesn't mm-hmm. talk a lot, but um, he can rap and sing. He's a singer, so I'm so mm-hmm. proud of him. And he's a father of three, and he has another one due in July. Go ahead, so Grandma. They keep making me a GG. How did you know I was a glam? <laughs> yes, it's a glamma. Look, I already look. Yes. Is beat. I already know she is a glamma. Okay. Yes, yes, <laughs> and um, and then of course DeAndre. Um, I think we all know De- DeAndre Hopkins, mm-hmm. the, the best wide receiver in the league. 
And then I have um, my baby Shantaria, who is, um, mm-hmm. she just turned 25 and she is a model. So she has, um, she models um, in Los Angeles, Arizona, and uh, she recently just got with a new agency in New York. So Shantaria is modeling. She's amazing. She does, I mean, she, awesome. I, I just think like, I just think that's her thing. When she turns, mm-hmm. she turns into a whole other person when she's in front of the camera. <laughs> so those are my babies. Yeah, that's how you know. When they when they see a camera and they don't shy away, it's their gift. <laughs> exactly. And they all went to college. Uh, they all mm-hmm. went to college and they ended up, you know, doing other things. But I'm so proud of all of them. So, because I know you said... Um, Keisha went off to Pittsburgh and I know we're going to shift to another topic real quick, but with her being the oldest, you know, sometimes when an older child has to take on the, 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 I'm going to put in quotes, parenting of the household, Mm -hmm. like sometimes they are um, hesitant to go far because they think about the responsibilities that they have to either pass on or they think may Mm -hmm. be neglected or things like that. Does she struggle to, to leave and go away for school um, and like, what did you, how did you encourage her to keep living her dreams? That's a good question. What I think happened was I began to implement um, things into the home. So we did like family meetings. Now, mind you, I did not know what I was doing. This is not something that I did in my, that was, that I was brought up with in my home. Um, mm-hmm. Because we, I had a very dysfunctional home. But what I began to do is like, have family meetings where we held each other accountable and in that I would you know so hey what do you what do you see yourself in the next five years you know what do you want to do because I was so determined when once I got up and decided that I was going to you know take over my home again it was Mm -hmm. important for me to not allow those children to to live with the fact that you know I got hurt and have this woe is me story I was not going to let what happened to me define them so I pushed them I made them say it out loud what do you want to do where you know where are you going you know just making we held each other accountable you know from year to year and so I think that had a lot to do with her understanding that it wasn't an option for you to sit around here like you Mm -hmm, were going to pursue your dreams and I think that had a lot to do with it. So we we had a lot of family talks. Mm-hmm. It's so important. But of course, she struggled at first. I mean, and she was, um, Keisha, Keisha was, she's very militant to this day. You know, I think mm-hmm. because of that, she was, she, Keisha gives orders. So <laughs> I'm like. Yeah, you, yeah you, go away she easy. gives <laughs> orders and she, and she's also a trainer. And how I know is because like, I I trained with her about three months. I said, never again. The girl <laughs> is not for me. And she does not play. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. I love it, that. It, it definitely built character. <laughs> yeah. To say the least. Uh, what, what, what advice yeah, would you give moms? Because I, I listen to you talk about your kids and, you know, where they are in their lives. And I know you're so proud because, you know, the great thing mm-hmm. about a mom and when I look at my kids is that God brings them into your life and they're all so different. Like you never get two kids that, that are the same. Every single one is different. Mm-hmm. What would you say to moms so that true. they don't really understand that? that part about being a mother and parenting. They think that, you know, you have to parent a certain way or be a certain way with all of them. What advice would you give moms that may be struggling or not, they may not know 
you know, how to parent their kids that are all so different? I think the the one thing that worked for me was um, that it was because it's a, it's a very thin line with mm-hmm. disciplining them and being their friend. So mm-hmm. what I, I I let them know very early on, I am not your friend. Your friends are in school. Your friends you will find later on in life. I am your mm-hmm. mother. And, you know, we're going to conduct ourselves around here as such. I think mm-hmm. the the main thing about understanding each one of my children is I allow them to be free. I allow mm-hmm. them to express themselves. Um, even when times were hard, there and there were times that I wanted to, like, scream and jump up and down because of something that I disapproved of. But I had mm-hmm. to understand that each one of them lives in their truth, and they're all yeah. different. And I had to learn to... And I had to learn. And notice I said I had to learn how to mm-hmm. respect them differently. Because yeah. as they grow, they're yes. going to show you their personality. Mm-hmm. But it's it's almost like just usher them, you know, into what's right and wrong, but still allow them to be free. That yes. was very important for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, that's um that's um, that is amazing advice, um, especially for So I grew up in a dysfunctional family, too, where Mm -hmm. honestly, when I think back on it, it's like, oh, you weren't like, y'all didn't really respect kids. Like kids were just in. Right. But in in all actuality, it's like, no, this this is a full human being. And you are like your your job is to to guide them and Mm -hmm. guide us. Look, guide us, but respect us along the way. And so. I, I definitely try to incorporate that with the kids and it's a learning process. Yeah. I learn something new every day. Like, okay, I probably do that right. Probably day. can we do this? Yes. <laughs> yes. And they teach you things too. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, what's something that you wish you would have known when you were younger and you were parenting? Like when you look back, like, dang, I wish I would have known that. Hmm. <laughs> I think I wish I would have known how to, uh, that's tough. I think I wish I would have known how to um, not, I think the main thing for me, I'm trying to understand my thought process. I think the main thing for me was just, it was one of those things where, do as I say and not as I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, because I was, people don't understand like what you were saying earlier. Uh, Children are human beings. And so there was a lot of things that I put in front of my children that I wish I wouldn't have now looking back. But it was one of those things where they weren't allowed to speak on it. I could do whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And they were not allowed to speak on it because guess what? I was mama. I was who I am. And how dare yeah. you go against mm-hmm. me in any way? And now if I had to do it all over again, of course, for one, I probably, you know, wouldn't be putting so many things in front of them. But I was doing what my mm-hmm. mo- my mother did to me and yeah. I wasn't allowed to speak on it. So my children wasn't allowed to speak on it. So, um, you know, I was like, just just following the generational curses that, you know, that I had been mm-hmm. given to me and I was pushing it on to my children. And I think now um, I would allow them to, as I said earlier, just allow them that freedom to speak on things because you can, 
once you can just say so many things to a child, they begin to, you know, take that and they feel like they can't talk about certain things or yeah. and, and that's where we go wrong because there are generational curses that need to be broken. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I was pacifying that one and not allowing them to just speak on things. I needed I needed some like literally had I allowed them to talk to me sometimes it would have like helped me. But they were mm-hmm. not allowed to say certain things to me because I was mama. And that's that's not yeah. how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a, a movie coming out this year about yes. your story. So tell us about that experience. Like you congratulations. Have a whole movie coming out. That's amazing. Yes. Oh well, well, thank you. I think it's still so surreal to me because yeah. you know, you you live this life and you just go through it um surviving. Or, mm-hmm. you know, and now, you know, I'm looking at like, oh, I'm an overcomer. Like, I really did that, you know. Absolutely. And so for someone for someone to actually say we're going to, um, you know, take your life and turn it into a motion picture because, you know, you went through all of these things and you just come out on the other end. It's it, it's still, like I said, surreal. So um, it's in the developmental stages uh, still um, with mm-hmm. the directors and everything. But. I'm super excited about it. I cannot wait until everybody uh, actually gets to see this motion picture. It's the movie's called Sabrina, of course, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm excited about it. That is awesome. It really yeah. is. I I think about you know all the positive things you've you've done. I I was reading somewhere that you've had uh, over 30 eye surgeries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but, but you've continued to strive to do all these amazing things. How do you stay so positive with all these continued treatments going on, all the things that you have going on in your life? Where does this positivity come from? I think the eye surgeries, um, it actually built a lot of character, built resilience, because having to go through eye surgeries um, for the last 20 years, I actually mm-hmm. lost my battle uh, with my sight about six years ago. So it was on and off. I was um, I was determined to get my sight back and mm-hmm. uh, to have some vision. I was like literally determined. Um, God had other plans, but that's okay. I think the, like I said, there was- Was it coming so and I going? Had, it was coming and going for oh, okay. the last, I would say, so three years into the, uh, the attack, I, I regained some sight. So it okay. would be on one eye or the other. And then because um, I was doing a lot of uh, like donor corneas where you get, oh, okay. you know, the corneas from other people that um, mm-hmm. that would donate their corneas. And so I, it was a lot of those, I would say at least five or six on each eye. So mm-hmm. the 30 surgeries, I would say, was on each eye. <laughs> it was a oh, lot wow. of surgeries. Okay. That I had um, to really build up the eye just so that it could take uh, cornea cornea, uh, transplants. Okay. Um, And then, but I think with that, and I look back, I was just kind of going through the motions. I was determined to have sight. But Mm -hmm. what it did was it it built, it built up who I am. I think um, when I look back, it was, it was like I had to go through all of that for this person to be here, you know, today mm-hmm. to be um, to be talking, to be strong and, and to be courageous. So um, I um, I'm actually I'm uh, of course, I always say, you know, it sounds kind of corny when, you know, I say I'm actually glad it happened, but I'm actually glad I had to go through all of that 
and I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. change anything now because it it made me who I am. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about um, the foundation you started, but I just have one last question. So the young lady that did this to you, where, where is she at now? Is she out so now? She was released three years ago. Uh-huh. And um, she's actually, um, she was released May 3rd um, of 2020. And um, oh, okay. she's she's out. Have you spoken to her? I have not. Um, she decided to recently speak out uh, to Tasha K, <laughs> a oh, blogger. Wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. She actually, and this is the first time I'm talking about it. So, um, because okay. I chose to remain silent, I chose to mm-hmm. um, keep my peace. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because what you know, what I what I was reminded. Okay. You talk the talk, now it's time to walk the walk. If you mm-hmm. forgave, you forgave. But, I, and I, you know, I never thought that 20 years later, I would be, you know, sitting here saying, oh my God, like, did you really? She spoke out to Tasha Kay. Um, mm-hmm. There was no, still no um, remorse or forgiveness uh, in the two hour talk. So I say, I chose not to listen to it because mm-hmm. baby God got me and I, there's right. nothing can make me go backwards. Yes, ma'am. Um, but um, yeah, so she chose to speak out. Um, I, I've heard bits and pieces, and as I said, from just from people that I've talked to, there was no remorse or um, any any apologies there. Um, a lot of a lot of lies, and so I just I chose not to address it mm-hmm. or even listen to it. But yeah, protect your peace. But that, but let me tell you something. The enemy stays busy okay amen to that amen to that i was i was thinking like you know as you went through your your road of forgiveness and you moved on and you've done so many amazing things and this happens before you found out about this were you optimistic mystic or were you hoping that she would maybe one day reach out and and try to say anything did you think that that was a possibility yeah of course of course because you know, she didn't only affect me that day. She affected my entire family, my, my yeah. babies mm-hmm. that didn't yeah. deserve it. And so, right. of course, even if it's just for them, you right. know, because things didn't have to turn out the way they did. Uh, it could have mm-hmm. been a lot worse for my family. So, yeah, of course, I was um hoping that. But but what I know now is that 20 years ago, you know, God gave me the strength to say, OK, you know what you have? You, you're still here. You know, you have, of course, a couple of years after the the attack. I wouldn't say right after, but, you know, I was Mm -hmm, able to mm -hmm. forgive. And so I was reminded um, about a month ago when she spoke out to pray for her again, because clearly she's Mm -hmm. still stuck and clearly Mm -hmm. she's still there. And so once again, and it's so fresh because I was I literally prayed for that young lady again just a month ago. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I was reminded that, okay, you know what, like, just do it again, it, yeah. you know, and, and let me, let me show you what I'm about to do for you. Let me mm-hmm. show you how I'm about to bless you in spite of. I know that's, that's beautiful. In spite of. So let's talk about smooth. Okay. <laughs> yes. 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 You're the founder and CEO of this nonprofit yes. organization. Uh, tell us how you came up with this idea. And tell us what it stands for, and then tell us how you came up with the idea. 
SMOOTH stands for Speaking Mentally Outwardly Opening Opportunities Towards Healing. And so God gave me this vision in 2013, literally in the middle of the night. You know how you could be laying there, and I don't know about you ladies, but things come in the middle of the night. And, you know, it's like, oh. And so I got up, I called my best friend, I had tears in my eyes. I was like, he came and literally he gave me the entire smooth. And, you know, first I'm thinking, how are people not going to associate smooth with domestic violence? Like, this makes no sense, Lord. Um, but I, I, I just I was obedient and I went with it. And ironically, it was the same year that my son was going into the NFL, um, mm-hmm. which was amazing. And um, I got up and I, I just began to start speaking out. And so what I call it speaking for T-shirts. I had no idea that it was going to turn into, you know, an organization for for, um, you know, that I would be in three different states as I am now. But um, <laughs> I began to just go and start speaking to anybody that would hear me. I was like, listen, it's been 10 years. You know, I want to speak out like I'm, I'm ready. You know, I got up. I'm, I took my power back and, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. And I began. So that wasn't enough for me, of course, you know, because when God gave you something, you got to like like you got to fully un- take it. And so yes. I said, you know, speaking out is not enough. You know, I feel like I'm not getting away. I done pounded a pavement in my hometown. Everybody tired of hearing me. So <laughs> I decided to um, form an organization where, because I did this this a uh, backpack drive and um, mm-hmm. it was very successful. Hundreds of people came out, but there were some good women that, that I, um, that came out, I attached myself to that day. And I thought like, I'm sure these women, I, so I held a meeting and they were all gang hoes, like 12 women. They said, yes, we'll do whatever it takes. And that's how I knew that I needed to, I needed to do more. So I began to, um, God, you know, he, he began to give me more and more, um, a confirmation that I needed to start, um, an organization where I could go out and speak to women that had been through domestic violence. I thought about the one thing that I didn't have when I was, I went through three very abusive relationships, not knowing who I was, not knowing my worth. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what is the one thing that, because it could have been teen pregnancy for me. It could have been, you know, I could, it's so many avenues I could have went down, but this Mm -hmm. was the one that I didn't, I I felt lost and and lonely. And then I knew that if I, I spoke out, people would hear me. And they need it. This is an area where like people need to to hear me and mm-hmm. know that that they're not alone. And so I think that was the main reason why I um I created Smooth and it has definitely grown since. That's amazing. So you said you're in three different states. Um, where where, yeah, is, where so is the organization located? We're in uh, Texas, Arizona and South Carolina. And uh, we so we go out and we. I actually just implemented a new program. I'm starting here in uh, in Houston in May, where it's called Smooth Transition Initiative, where we go into the shelters and it's a six month program where we actually go in and teach the young ladies where they are, because I, I believe in meeting people where they are. We're going to mm-hmm. go in. And um, so the first month we'll do financial literacy. The second month we will do um, uh, house cleaning and, um, you know, just keeping up with, um, you know, your home and showing them how to, you know, maintain. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. the third month we will be doing uh, just showing them what to wear in in interviews, um, making sure that, you know, they have the proper clothing on, uh, you know, no big hoops, 
no big hair, uh, you know, things like that. And what, like what, mm-hmm. how to conduct yourself in the interview. Um, so we're going to go in and just teach them different things. And I think, um, I think that's very important that, because those are things that, because when you're going through things like that, the last thing you think about is self-care or things mm-hmm. that, that you really need, um, you know, just a little nudge or help in. And so we'll yeah. take clothes in there. We'll leave the clothes with them. Um, a lot of a lot of good things happening this year. Yeah. No, I love wow. that because you, you brought up a, a great point in that when you're going through something as traumatic as trying to escape a, an abusive relationship or situation, you don't have the mental capacity no. to think about some of those things and to, to, to get yourself back on the, the um, right track. It's almost like you're in a never ending hamster wheel. So um, yes. that's beautiful that you are, you are equipping those ladies to reenter the, the world in a way yes. that they can really be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's very important to um to regain a sense of independence. You're mm-hmm. either thinking about everybody else, never yourself. And so mm-hmm. we have this other um we have this other session where we go in and actually do um makeup pictorials and nails and hair. Just, you know, love on them and pamper on them. That's important. Yeah. What's one thing that you think uh, domestic violence survivors would want listeners to know about their experience and how can either friends or relatives help support them? I think it's very important that you not sit back and assume that Mm -hmm. that person is okay. I think that is the biggest thing. If you if you know someone that's in not even domestic violence relationships but just going through anything or you know Mm -hmm. traumatized by something or you assume that they they went through it and they're over it be nosy Mm -hmm. hold your like like don't don't sit back and not say anything because you never know just just you showing in showing up that day and just saying hey I'm here and not only that but sometimes everything doesn't warrant a one hour conversation, just go sit there. Just let your sister or your brother know that you are, that you supportive and that you care and whatever and meet people where they are, whatever they want to do, do it. It doesn't matter if it's sit there and watch television or you, but you, but you have to let people know that, that they're not alone. I think it's very important that you be nosy that you let them know and not only you can't make a person do what they're not willing to do. I've learned that in my journey. I can't make a woman leave if she's not ready to leave. Yeah. Um, but I can let her know that she's not alone and that whenever she's ready to make that step, someone is there to help her. That's good. I love that. That's good. Okay. So here we go. We have this game. It's called the two minute drill. And right. it's it's a fun game. It's a way to kind of, uh, it, you know, it's NFL related. We're going to ask you questions. It's a way for the, the audience and the listeners to get to know you. So okay. um, mm-hmm. we're going to ask you a few fun questions. And uh, and then it will we'll conclude here. But let's first start. Tia, you have the timer? We'll start the timer. Yep. Okay, here we okay. go. Okay. Your favorite meal to eat? Meatloaf. Sleep in or take a nap? Sleep in, of course. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite sports team? Whatever team my son is on. 
Um, <laughs> <Okay>. So right <laughs> now, it would be right. the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, how dare I say anything else? <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> okay, what's the... Um, What's your favorite place that you've ever visited? Hawaii, hands down. Mm. Love okay, Hawaii. are you? Are, do you love to travel, or are you more of a homebody? Oh, definitely love to travel. Every chance I get. Movie or read a book? Oh, read a book. I am an advocate reader on Audible. Of course, I'm reading mm-hmm. uh, Will Smith's book now. Love reading books. That book is phenomenal. The oh, Smith, his book I mean, is so awesome. I'm in the middle of it right now. Yes. Oh my God. But if you, but uh, Finding Me by Viola Davis, a must yes. read. Okay. That I'm adding that to it. We can, we can talk all day about books. I love reading I know. books. Okay. So I'm going to have to get, I'm, 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 we're going to finish this up, but I'm going to have to get some, some book recommendations. But yeah, I'm gotcha. like, I, got I listen you. to Audible more than I listen to music now. Oh, me too. Me too. The last one's a, a quick and easy question. What's a favorite place that you could always go to over and over again? My mom's house. Oh, I love that. My mom's house. Um, I can never get enough of, because uh, we had such a turmoil relationship for such a long time. But I just mm-hmm. think she is the most amazing person now. And uh, I just love Going to her back room and just laying there and just being at mama's house. That's beautiful. Yes. That's the way you end it. I know. <laughs> mother's Day, yes. yes Going to mama's that's house. right, with Mother's Day. <laughs> okay, if people want to get to hold get a hold of you or support um your foundation smooth, what's the best way to do so? Oh, absolutely. So you can always keep up with us and what we're doing with the organization. Uh, You can go to smoothinc.org and that's with three O's. Or you can always check me out at Sabrina Greenlee 12 on Instagram. I am always dancing, um, (laughs) giving out inspiration and you never know what I have on, but I am out here living my best blessed life. I know that's right. And you should be. And, you know, I just want to say, be the first to say, I know it's still early, but happy Mother's Day to you. Um, Thank you for sharing your story. Absolutely. um, For blessing so many young women and men and uh, the resilience and the giving back that you've done. It's Mm -hmm. very inspirational and we appreciate you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity to actually share my story again and, be an inspiration so thank you thank you ladies what an inspiring mother's day conversation listen listen i don't even know what to say when i say miss greenlee is amazing Mm. inspirational that the the daily reminders yes the daily reminders on the little things you can do to etch your way towards forgiveness Mm -hmm. when i say I have no words for Miss Greenlee. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and the you. fact that she's still moving and she has these organizations that she's mm-hmm. blessing other people. People get stuck in, in, in victimization. They get stuck where they are. And the fact yeah. that she said, no, I'm more than that. This is this is my story is just beginning. Um, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. And so I just I thank you, uh, Miss Greenlee. Happy Mother's Day to you and all the moms out there. Um, yes. And that's our show, ladies. For the latest on the Inside Lines podcast, make sure to follow us on at Inside Lines podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. 
Be sure to check us out online at InsideLinesPodcast.com. And again, if you guys, if you have um, topics you want us to cover, people you want us to have on the show, um, give us a shout at SpeakPipe.com forward slash InsideLines. If you want to tell Miss Greenlee how you really enjoyed her uh, episode, please just mm-hmm. leave us a comment and we will share it with her. But until next time, leave it all out on the field. Thanks for listening and we'll see you.